Well, we're in the midst of a clarity series as Anne-Marie prepares uh, to make that screen clear for us, for my notes. Let me just pray about this moment. May the words of my mouth, the things I say, Lord, because um, I don't want to say anything that's not true. I don't want to say, say anything that, that doesn't have your Holy Spirit power behind it that is from the Word. So not my words, but yours. May my words, Lord, words that you will use to touch the hearts and the lives of your people, may my words be faithful. And may the hearing of your people also, Lord, uh, be open. You know, right now, I know that uh, this is an opportune time for hearts to be touched, and so uh, the devil is fast at work distracting, discouraging, uh, overwhelming people with sense of guilt or, or maybe shame or, or blocking them from even listening. So may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of all the assembled hearts prove acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, we're in the midst of this clarity series, and uh, I'm always interested in how, uh, how a business declares themselves, how they state their mission, and how they communicate their mission, and, and how they uh, try to grab our attention in things. I don't know about you, but I'm fascinated when a store, uh, you know, rehabs its space, like the Dairy Queen did up on Clayton Road, you know, trying to... Uh, stay in touch with the culture and, and, you know, meet their clients and increase their base. I'm fascinated when I go into a grocery store to buy something and they've moved it. I hate that. You know, it was perfectly fine that the coffee was always in aisle four. Now where is it? But they do that intentionally. That's not just an accident. They're not just, you know, efficiency experts. You know, they're doing that because they want you to search. And then you'll say, oh, no coffee here. But, man, these cookies look good. And, you know, pretty soon you have a cart full of things. You know, that's very intentional why they do what they do. And I'm always trying to understand, you know, why people do what they do. And that's what this Clarity Series is about, why we do what we do and why God does what he does. And as I think about creativity... Uh, I couldn't help but think about this commercial series. Maybe you've, uh, you've seen it. It's an AT&T series. Have you seen it? It's kind of fascinating. It's one of the most popular series out there now. In fact, this guy's name is Beck Bennett. It has put him on the map, made him a millionaire just doing this one series. And it's opened him to other acting opportunities with people more than seven years old, he said. You know, so that's kind of interesting. But he doesn't feel it's been a typecast because it's dynamic. He's not repeating any phrases, not repeating any lines. He's just doing interviews with kids. And the one that I like perhaps the best, and, and uh, they show it more often, so I must not be alone in my judgment, is the one where he comes out with a table full of kids and he says, what's the largest number you can think of? And this little girl says, a billion, zillion, gazillion. And he says, wow, that's good. And he turns to the table and he says, what about you? And a blonde-haired little boy says, ten. <laughs> I love that kid. His parents must have been so proud. I could just see them, you know, sliding under the table. And he just looks at him, ten, and he goes, okay. Hey, anybody else? And then somebody says, infinity. And he goes, wow, that's, that's good. Anybody else? And another little girl says, infinity plus one. He says, well, those are all good, but what we were looking for was infinity plus infinity. And then a girl who could hardly contain herself says, what about infinity times infinity? And he goes, <laughs> And then the voiceover comes and says, it's not that complicated. 
You know, God's word is not that complicated. You know, if you read it, God's spirit accompanies it. God will reveal his will for your life. And so I'm going to pretend that I'm uh, Beck Bennett, and you're my seventh grade seven-year-old sitting in front of me at table. And I'm going to ask you this question. What would you rather have, effective and productive faith or ineffective and unproductive faith? Effective and productive. Now here's the question. Why? Why would you rather have effective and productive faith? Come on. Why? Because that's what God wants from you, somebody said. What else? You reach more people. Anything else? It makes a difference in eternity and around the throne. Well, that's all true. But I got to say, I'm not here to talk about your effectiveness or your productivity so that you could do more. In fact, the pastors will tell you, the other pastors that I sit with, I said, sometimes I just feel like we're driving the congregation. You know, I, I don't need a pulpit. I don't need a Bible. I need a whip and a chair. Like, do more, do more, do more. And, uh, and that's good. You know, I, I do want you and God wants you to be effective and productive in the kingdom to reach more people for Christ. But God also wants this for you. You know, a productive and effective faith brings peace that surpasses understanding. It brings optimism in your life. And it brings joy despite your circumstance. And enables you to endure difficult times. And so uh, I think, in fact, if you have that, then you don't even need to think about how you're going to change the world. Just by seeing that in your life, you will change the world. Other people will want what you have. And uh, so if you want effective and productive faith, you're in luck because that's what the Scripture is all about today. It's about uh, individually how God desires that we would be effective and productive. I'm going to be talking from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. If you're online, you could uh, just crack your Bible. It's towards the back of your Bible. Uh, if you go to Revelation, you've gone too far. Just back up a little bit. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. I'm going to read through the whole thing in context so you can get the flavor of it. And then I'm going to come back and, and take it three parts at a time. And I'm going to ask you to read those three parts with me as, as we break it down. So here we go. 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 3. God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Through our knowledge of him who called us. By his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his great and precious promises. So that through them you may participate in his divine nature and escape the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. So that's what he has given us. That's what he's done for us. That's how he's called us by his promise. Now he speaks and turns it a little bit towards us. For this reason, because he's done all of this for you, now he asks this of you. Make every effort to add to the faith that I've given you, that I've called you to. Add to this faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. 
For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. They'll keep the faith from being impotent in your life and in your witness. But if anyone does not have these qualities, they are nearsighted, they are blind. They have forgotten what God has done for them and how he has cleansed them from their past sin. Let's take that first section and let's read it together. Uh, verses 3 and 4 from first, Second Peter chapter 1. Read it with me if you can see it on the screen there. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Everything. Through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Now if you check the commentaries, the theologians will say, this proves that God is active and, God, and, and we are passive. You know, I, I think... Well, to a degree, that's true. When it comes to our salvation, God gets all the glory, all the praise, all the credit. He brings me to the knowledge of the truth because he calls me by his promises. Somebody has shared faith with me, and God goes to work. You know, his word does not return void without accomplishing the purpose for which it has sent. You know, his word is accompanied by the Holy Spirit. So whenever you share his truth, I'm not just talking, quoting the Bible, but whenever you share what is true from the Bible... The Holy Spirit goes to work on a heart. In fact, sometimes I think even the response, which is argumentation and aggravation from people, you know, why would they be aggravated if they didn't agree with me? You know, just ignore me. But something stirs in their heart. So that's true. You know, God brings me to struggle with the question of my eternity, with the question of my creation, with the question of my existence. You know, why am I here and is there a God? God does that for me. You know, I take no credit in that. But he doesn't ask, ask me to just be passive. He brings me to the knowledge of the truth and stirs within my heart a desire that I would be engaged. And so rather than just say God is active and I am passive, I would like to say that God is a change agent in my life. And God is a catalyst. You know, a catalyst is something that acts on something and causes it to change, causes some movement in that which was not otherwise moving. Now, last week, we talked about an important uh, principle of God's creation, and we called it synergy. This week, we want to talk about theophany. Now, synergy is this God-ordained truth that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. When two people get together, you don't just add qualities. You don't just add strength. You multiply resources. Uh, this is true even in nature. A draft horse that can pull 800 pounds and a draft horse that can pull 700 pounds together, pull 1,500 pounds, no, pull 3,000 pounds. You know, side by side. Something miraculously happens when, when people and animals come together. You have experienced this yourself I'm sure you know you can run your best time you know out there exercising or or you can go through your routine and 
And, and yet when you do it with somebody else, you will run a better time. And you will be less tired. There's something miraculously happens because God has created power and unity. That's people on people work. But today we want to talk about God in you. We want to talk about theophany. Theo is Greek for God. Ophany is appearance. Appearances of God. And we see in the Old Testament that God occasionally appeared in lives. And lives were changed. Circumstances were changed. History was changed. And God has not changed. He is the same yesterday, Old Testament, New Testament, today. And will be the same for our kids, our grandkids. You know, so today we want to talk about theophany. How God changes things in your life for your good and for the good of your effectiveness in life, which is the reason that we exist. Now, two things happen when God shows up with his promises. First, we get to share in his divine nature. So you can participate. What does that mean? You've heard people say, you know, the 30,000 foot view. You know, you rise above your circumstance. So many of us get bogged down in a temporary, momentary difficulty. Maybe it's a relationship that's not going well. Maybe it's a circumstance that has gone bad in your life. And it balls you up and you get so subjective about it, you can't see the forest for the trees is how they say it. You know, you lose your perspective. But by acting on the promises of God and acting on the faith that God has called you to, you participate in his divine nature. You get to see things as they really are. You get to see that, yes, I may be going through a difficult time, but I know God loves me. I know Jesus died for me. And so this is a temporary thing. I know his desire is to prosper me and not to harm me. And so I gain his perspective. This may be a timeout in my life. You know, I know that God doesn't want to hurt me, and I know that others who do are not greater than God. So why is he allowing this rather than saying, you know, it's not fair. God isn't active in my life. He doesn't care. I just say, I wonder what God is doing here. I know he loves me. I know he has all power. And so when I sit in timeout or when I go through a difficulty, I say, God is using this for my benefit or for the benefit of others who are watching me go through this right now from a point of faith. Because of God's promises and because he's called me to faith, I get to participate in his glory. Uh, secondly, uh, he helps me to escape from the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. The world wants to bring you down. And the world has power to do that. There are many people who are bent on your destruction. And, and circumstances that the devil uses uh, to cause you to uh, uh, despair. Uh, the Lord will enable you to overcome uh, the devil's worst. Greater is he that is in you, the Bible says, than he that is in the world. He is more powerful than that. So uh, I'm able to escape the corruption of this life and the difficulties of this life, but also the difficulties of facing my death. You know, there's a great passage in the book of Acts that quotes from the Old Testament that says, uh, God predicted that his Holy One would not see decay. And that's a reference to Jesus, that when he died, he would pass from life to life eternal. In fact, he made that possible for all of us. I love that uh, story that Jesus tells about Lazarus, his good friend who died. And Jesus was away from Bethany where Lazarus and Mary and Martha, his sisters, lived. And when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he didn't rush to his side to heal him. In fact, he delayed going until Lazarus died. Martha runs out to him when Jesus finally gets there. You know, Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. 
And she said, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask, God could grant you. He said, your brother will live again. She said, I know he will live again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me will never die, and he that lives and believes in me will live even though he dies. And uh, I've often used that passage at the graveside uh, of the burial of, uh, of Christians. And, and I think when people hear that, I, I think, because I, I did this for a while, I think, which is it? Do I never die or do I live even though I die? I think it's only a matter of perspective. You know, if I love them, my dad, I saw him die, I say he died. But he lives even though he died. You know, to me, he's dead. But from his perspective, he never died. He went from life to life eternal. If you've ever been in the room of somebody who experienced death as a believer, uh, I've actually experienced an energy in the room, and I just think, man, what are they seeing now? What are they experiencing as they move from life to life eternal? You know, we escape the corruption of this world. We escape any concern about death and the eternity that we will face in the next world. Well, let's continue on with the reading. And I want you to read this with me, if you will. And notice we've emphasized the qualities that God wants you to add to faith. Because of all that he has done, for this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. These are the qualities that he wants us to add to our faith. Is it possible to be a Christian and not have those qualities? Unfortunately, it is. The stereotype of Christians is a stereotype because it's often true. Christians believe, but they believe in almost an offensive way to those who are not Christian. Almost as though we are superior to others for whom Christ died as well. You know, they can be people of faith. I believe they could even be saved. And yet instead of having goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, kindness, and love, they are mean, they are ignorant, they are quick-tempered, they are impatient, they are ungodly, they are hard-hearted and cold. Don't raise your hand if you know a Christian like that. Because unfortunately we all do. But when you live a life that is patient, when you live a life that's under control, when you live a life that is kind, when you live a life that demonstrates love even in the face of hatred, that's a powerful and effective witness. But they don't always come together. The Bible says you should add to your faith. It bugs me when I hear other pastors say, whether the church grows or doesn't grow isn't on me. All I need to do is be faithful in word and sacrament. You know, if the world doesn't want to hear what God has to say, that's just a judgment of the world. No wonder the church is getting smaller. The world is going to hell. I think, well, the Lord says you should add some qualities to that. You should add knowledge. You should maybe try to understand the world a little bit so you can speak to the world and bring your faith to bear. You should be kind-hearted towards the world, not judgmental of the world. It says some things about you other than just be faithful and true. I think about this when I uh, think about equations. You know, faith without action People who hold faith in isolation without action, I say adds pious 
clutter. You know what clutter is? You know what clutter is. I'm not even going to ask how many of you have a precious moments display in a china cabinet in your house. <laughs> not even going to go there. I've been in some man caves, by the way, and I've seen rows and rows of golf balls from different golf courses. Not going to go there. Clutter. Nobody cares about that except for you. It's a meaningful to you, but it's not a winsome quality. In fact, a, a few weeks ago, uh, I was with Carol, and it was about noon on Saturday. It was the end time for garage sales, and, and uh, she had met me, and, and I was riding with her, and, and we came down the street, and it turned out this was actually an estate sale, not a garage sale, and, and uh, I noticed they had a snowblower on the driveway. And I did a U-turn because I'm tired of shoveling a three-car-wide, you know, parking spot, and I, I just thought this was great size, not too big, but would really be helpful. And, and I wondered, why would it be there so late in the day? And then I found out. I said, how much for the snowblower? $150. I said, seriously, does it run? I don't know. It hasn't run for five years. I said, do you mind if I uh, start it? And we don't have any gas. I said, so you don't have any gas, and you're not sure if it runs, and it hasn't been running five years. Now, it looks new. It looks like it's only touched the snow a couple of times, but it's five years old, and you can't prove that it works. I'm buying a pig and a poke. How about 50 bucks? He says, well, let me go ask mom. So his dad had died, and they were having an estate sale, and his aged mother was inside the house, and, and I could hear her say, it's brand new. I'm not selling it for $50. And so he came out, and I said, I heard, I heard. That's <laughs> okay. You can keep your snowblower. So he went back in and argued with his mom. He says, Mom, it's not brand new. It's 10 years old. It hasn't been running five years. She says, I'd sell it. And so, so I, I bought a $50 snowblower, and after a $70 tune-up, I got it almost free. But it works and retails $500. Give me a hand. <laughs> but that's not the point. The point is that I went on to look and in a box in the garage, he had keychains. I mean, he had keychains from the petrified forest. He had keychains from Florida. He had keychains from Chicago. He had keychains from Oregon. He had keychains from New York. Everywhere he went, this guy bought keychains. They could not even give them away. He had a box full of them. Nobody wanted them. His kids didn't even want them. When you have faith without action, you have pious clutter. Nobody wants it. Maybe important to you, but it's not even important to your kids. If you aren't demonstrating your faith in action, nobody wants it. The Lord says, add to your faith certain qualities. What about if you have action, but you don't have faith? What does that equal? Do goodism? Now, does good need to be done in the world? Absolutely. Absolutely. Circumstances need to be changed. In fact, I encourage Christians to get involved in do goodism so you can bring faith to bear there. Because if you only change the circumstances, not a heart, you've not done the most important thing. In fact, you could even enable a bad situation. You know, if you just fix a situation but don't fix the person they'll just look for somebody else and somebody else you actually weaken them you don't make them better and sometimes you do that or people do that without faith only to get praise and recognition to get a plaque to get called out you know for some do-goodism that they are doing you know unless you change the heart of a person you haven't done the most important thing so action without faith 
may be good for a moment. It may actually be detrimental to a cause. It doesn't affect the primary issue, which is people. And people matter more than situations. So do-goodism isn't exactly the best thing either. Action without faith has its limits. But action with faith, ah, action with faith, now you have something. Because when you have them come together, then you have miracles and mystery. And I like the last part probably as much as I do the miracle part. You know, when you bring a theophany to bear in a situation, I don't know how this is going to go. But I know it's going to go because God is involved. You know, I don't know how a situation is going to turn. But when I pray with somebody, I know that God loves them. There's a scripture that says, if he didn't spare his own son. I mean, I have sons. I wouldn't sacrifice any of them for you. But if he did not spare his own son but gave him up for you, even when you were an enemy of his, even when you opposed him, if he did not spare his own son but let his son die for you, what else does he have to do to prove how much he loves you? It's an argument from greater to lesser. If he's done this for you, will he not also with his son then freely enter your world and change your situation? So you can face a difficulty and you can pray for a friend or you can deal with a difficulty yourself and say, I don't know how this is going to turn out, but I know and claim the scripture that God's desire is to prosper me and not to harm me, to give me a hope and a future. And you can have confidence to believe that that will be true. Let's look at the last section here uh, of 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 8. If you possess these qualities in increasing measure, you can grow in these qualities. Why would you? They will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not add these qualities or does not have them is nearsighted and blind. And they forget that God has done for you and cleansing you from all your past sin. You know, dangerously close to slipping back into it. You know, what this reminds me is that there are no limits to what God can do for you and with you in increasing measure. You know, our physical abilities wane after a while. We can't do what we once did. I could quote the country song, but I could do once what I once did. You know, can't do it all. Our mental abilities wane and wax over time. But your faith doesn't need to. In fact, Paul said, when I see my faith crumbling away like a tent folding up there's an inner man who is gaining strength this is one thing that can actually increase in life as you age and i see it so often in people who age because they've had the experience of applying faith and applying faith and so they grow stronger and stronger if you possess these qualities in increasing measure they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive notice it doesn't say you will make god's word or you will make faith more powerful it's just you will get out of the way you won't be a detriment to god and to yourself and to others. You won't be an obstruction to what God wants to do in the life. You know, he will work through you to accomplish great things. There are no limits to what can be done because there are no limits to who you know, where you go, and what could be accomplished. Let me just uh, wrap this up with 
some takeaways for us as a congregation and why we do what we do, knowing that God empowers you and shows up in your life and, and wants to change the world through you individually. First of all, uh, St. John's is a sending and equipping church. What does that mean? It means that we're a congregation that encourages your engagement in existing relationships, in existing organizations, and in existing opportunities. We don't believe that we should always create those for you. We shouldn't necessarily create a Bible class so that you can grow in faith. You're quite capable of doing that yourself. In fact, you will grow more by doing that yourself. So we will equip and we will enable you to do that, not necessarily provide that for you. You are God's agent for change in the world. You know, you already have existing relationships. Wouldn't it be awesome if you opened Bible studies in your neighborhood and asked other people to join you? What a powerful thing that would be. You can already work in existing organizations. Rarely, if ever, do we start an activity, even with this backpack thing that we're doing in the city. We don't go down and, you know, roll up in a van and, and start handing out backpacks. We don't have relationships with those people. We use existing organizations. We encourage you to find opportunities in existing organizations to bring faith to bear and transform those organizations. So we're a congregation that sends and equips people to go out into the community to engage the community in organizations and relationships and opportunities that already exist and bring faith to bear. It's an incredible thing that you can do. We also believe that... Uh, this should be a missional community of believers. Uh, each one of us should have a mission. In fact, we identify that with the numbers 11156. And, and you may see that around. You may hear us mention that. And it just means the first one. Give one day to the Lord in worship, in study, and in offering, and in prayer. You know, you can't extend yourself if you yourself are not filled up. So give one day in your life to worship and to offering, and to prayer, and to rest. You know, so be strong so that you can go out there. The next one, 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 be someone to somebody else. And you do this well. In fact, I had a number of people already come up and say, how are you, pastor, can I pray for you? And, and they do, because believe it or not, pastors are people too. And uh, it's nice that you could be somebody strong for somebody else that needs you. Each one of you knows somebody who needs you. And uh, if you're a person who needs somebody else, allow that too. Don't be so proud that you won't let a Christian into your life to pray with you, to stand with you, to walk you through a hard time. You know, we're called to be someone else to somebody else in times of need. One, one, fifteen. Every day, spend 15 minutes in a spiritual exercise. Maybe it's prayer about a situation. I make a list of people uh, that I want to encourage, I want to pray for have it on my calendar. I actually print my calendar out and do some old school handwriting stuff on that. I uh, also keep it electronically, but I, I look at that handwritten calendar all the time. Uh, be 15 minutes in an online devotional or maybe the deeper questions as you leave today that you get for this series. Be in a spiritual exercise 15 minutes a day and then live the other six days that you're not in worship. Glorifying God by helping others because that's what he would have you do. Look for opportunities. And I guarantee you that if you begin every day saying, Lord, show me an opportunity, an opportunity will present itself. In fact, I think many opportunities will present themselves that we often don't see because we're not looking for them. So there you have it. You know, our impact is unlimited because your relationships are unlimited. Where you go is endless. The opportunities that will present themselves, endless. 
And so the impact is contagious. I mean, the world believes in Jesus because of 12 people. Incredible, the influence and power. How much more could 1,200 people or 2,000 people do? So I ask you again, would you rather be effective and productive or ineffective and unproductive? It's not that complicated. We pray for you. Gracious Lord, help us to realize that we can't just hold our faith and study our faith and, and just grow, grow ourselves in knowledge, knowledge of you. Help us to realize that you want to, us to add to our faith certain qualities so that we can be useful in your kingdom. And these qualities are almost all uh, interpersonal and interrelational qualities. Help us to realize that no one will be won by people who are bitter, hard-hearted, cold, resistant, superior. Those are not godly qualities that you want us to add to our faith. But help us to uh, accept the qualities that you have uh, delineated through Peter so that our faith might engage in the lives of others and lives might be changed. Even our life might be changed. Our security, our optimism, our peace, our joy increase. Lord, we pray this in expectation of your favor based on your word through Jesus Christ. Amen.